Thanks, Fabian. Good morning. It is great to see you. As Fabian just prayed, my name is Daniel, one of the pastors, and glad you're here for the 1045 service. Uh, we are in a sermon series that we started last week in the season of Advent. We're looking at the first two chapters of the Gospel of Luke, uh, and we've titled this series, Behold the King. And this past week, uh, at our weekly staff meeting, uh, I asked our staff, uh, what are some things you're hope, hoping for yourselves and maybe some things you're hoping for Christmas Church in this Advent season? And here's some of the things that were shared. Uh, hoping to slow down uh, in this season to fully embrace what we believe and celebrate. We're hoping to see people truly connect with one another around the gospel story of Jesus' redeeming and saving love. Hope that hope would be alive in the hearts of people, especially those who seem to have lost hope. We hope that people would know they're valued, loved, and welcomed in our community because Jesus loves and values and welcomes all of us. And that our church would truly experience the grace and love of Jesus and that we would be contagious and attractive to those who may not know Jesus. And we'd be courageous enough to invite people to come and experience the presence of God with us. And so there, as these things were shared, there was this consensus of really hoping to experience and embrace and rest in the realities of Jesus uh, that we profess here in Advent. And I was in, encouraged to hear our team share these hopes and prayers because the reality is that our experience does not always match what we say we believe, does it? It's been said that the longest journey a person will ever make is the journey from their head to their heart. That there is often a gap between what we say we believe and what we experience. And in my job as a pastor, I've learned something over time that there are a lot of people who feel alone and afraid because of this gap. That there are a lot of people who are Christians who often feel like a fraud. But I want you to hear you're not alone. I, I have felt this gap and still feel the gap at times. And what I know to be true does not always ignite my heart. But we can cheer up because admitting there's a gap and longing for the gap to be closed is what Advent is all about. Advent is a season for us to long that our experience of Christ would be as intimate as our confession of Christ. Last week, if you were here, Emilio, our youth director, preached on Mary, the mother of Jesus, receiving the news from the angel Gabriel that she would be the one that God would use uh, to bring the promised Messiah, the Christ child, into the world. And Mary wrestled with the gap between her head and her heart. Right? She trusted God, but she questioned God. How could this be possible? Right? But Mary ultimately grasped the reality of the incarnation. The truth that by the power of the Holy Spirit, the promised one was coming into the world to usher in a new world revolution. That he would bring God's kingdom and establish God's kingdom. In the passage that we're going to look at this morning, we see that the truth traveled the long distance from her head to her heart. That the gap closed and Mary explodes and burst into a song. And so the question that I want us to address this morning is how might the gap between our head and our heart be closed? How might the truth of Jesus explode in our hearts so that we sing like Mary and we're not just simply going through the motions of Advent? So if you're able, I'm going to ask you to stand and we're going to look at Luke chapter 1, verses 39 to 56. This is God's word to us this morning. 
In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth excuse me, <coughs> was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my, chi- uh, of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. Isaiah tells us the grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Pray with me. Lord God, we do need you to speak to us this morning. Uh, Illumine our minds, and Lord, by your spirit, would the truth that we hear from you bleed and travel the 18 inches to our hearts so that we might be transformed. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing. We need to hear from you so that our our very lives are changed by you this morning. Speak to us, Lord Jesus, we pray. It's in your name we ask these things. Amen. You can have a seat. Well, I'm currently reading the autobiography of Bono, uh, the lead singer of the Irish band U2. It's called Surrender, 40 Songs, One Story. Uh, and this is how he uh, opens chapter two of his autobiography. He says, I'm, I'm jumping around the living room of 10 Cedarwood Road to the sound of Glad to See You Go from the Ramones Leave Home album. It is my 18th birthday. These songs are so simple, and yet they express a complexity that is way more relevant to my life than Dostoevsky's Crime and Punishment, which I have just finished, which took me three and a half weeks to read. This album takes only 29 minutes and 57 seconds. And Bono goes on to say that this is when he knew he wanted to write songs, because songs have a way of expressing profound truth in powerful, beautiful, and direct ways that lead the listener to feel and experience truth. That songs are powerful. Do you know the most popular Christmas song of all time? It's not Joy to the World. It's not Silent Night. It's not Dashing Through the Snow. The most popular Christmas song of all time is Mary's song in Luke chapter 1. It's known as the Magnificat. It's been translated into over 2,000 languages. It's been sung in monasteries. It's been sung uh, to drums in Africa. It's been sung in cathedrals in Europe. It is a powerful song written out of the heart and the experience of a 14-year-old girl. And it's one of the most treasured songs in history. It is a song that Mary couldn't help but sing because the gap between her head and her heart closed. 
The truth of the incarnation exploded like dynamite in her heart and outburst this powerful song. Mary sings, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Mary will magnify. She will make mega the Lord. Mary is getting out her megaphone to sing as loud as she can about her Lord and her Savior. One of my favorite seminary professors uh, from my time uh, in seminary uh, now uh, no longer teaches uh, in Florida, but travels the world and trains church leaders. And he made a comment a few years ago to me when I saw him. Uh, I, I think I was in Chicago at the time. And he just kind of passing comment that has stuck, stuck with me since. He said, no matter where he is in the world, that he's able to tell the health and the vitality of a church within the first five minutes of its gathering. And he does so by listening to how the church sings its first hymn and its first song of worship. And he was saying, you can tell the gap that exists between the head and the heart by listening to how a person sings. When the heart is experiencing God, one can't help but sing loud like Mary. You know, there's, there's so much I love about Christ Central Church, this church that I get to be one of the pastors at. I love our phenomenal worship team. We have a gifted team. I love that we get to worship in this historic, beautiful sanctuary every Sunday. But I think one of my most favorite times on Sunday mornings is when I can hear our congregation singing loudly with one voice, filling this space with beautiful, loud worship. And so the question I want to address this morning is how do we sing like Mary? How do we close the gap, the 18 inches between the head and the heart? Our passage, I think, gives us three things to help close the gap. Community, humility, and vision. Community, humility, and vision. Let's look first at community. We see this in the first part of our passage, verses 39 to 40, 45. And Mary gets the news from Gabriel. In verse 39, she immediately goes to Judah to see her cousin and her close friend, Elizabeth. And I'm sure Mary is overwhelmed, right? She's just been told uh, that she's going to give birth to the Christ child, to the Savior of the world. And, and so her head is spinning as she's trying to understand how she, a virgin, is going to give birth to the Christ child. And so she goes to see her sister in the Lord, Elizabeth. And as soon as Mary enters the house, the baby and Elizabeth leaped, and Elizabeth exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. When the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. If you catch, catch what's happening, Elizabeth is confirming what God had already told Mary, and then this is when Mary sings. Mary doesn't sing in her alone time. She connects with a close friend in the Lord, and then she sings. The Magnificat is a product of Christian community. Two women, both looking to God in faith, both carrying children of promise, coming together. But also notice how different these two women are. Elizabeth is old, Mary is young. Elizabeth is powerful and wealthy, Mary is marginalized and poor. And it's through the community of diversity and difference that they experience the gospel. I heard one pastor joke that here in Elizabeth's living room, we have a foretaste of the church because we have the over 50s ministry represented in Elizabeth. We have the youth ministry represented in, in Mary. We have the children's ministry represented by the two babies in the mother's wombs. We have a foretaste of the, of the church to come. Listen, the, the more isolated and alone you are in your faith, the less you will know and experience God. Sadly, I can tell you story after story of people 
that I've come around and interacted with as a, as a pastor who've drifted away from God, whose, fa- whose faith grew cold, and more often than not, I can point you to a person who became isolated and alone. Somebody who was trying to close the gap between their head and their heart by themselves. God did not make us for isolation. God created us for community. In our new members class, we remind everyone that when someone becomes a Christian, there is a grammatical change that takes place. It's no longer me, but we, because God created us for one another. And like Mary and Elizabeth, I believe God specifically uses diverse community. The beauty of diversity is that it exposes us to a person uh, that has different experience and exposures that help us where we might be missing or lacking in our own experience and exposures. Right? When we're connecting in community that is cross-generational, cross-cultural, cross-socioeconomic, cross-you-fill-in-the-blank, each of us are exposed into a fuller expression and a fuller experience of God. And so I want to say this to every single one of you here. Every one of you has something to offer this body of Christ. And everyone is better because of your presence here. Your young age or your old age, wise age, is a gift. Your singleness or your marriedness is a gift. Your culture is a gift. Your expression and experience of God is a gift. We're better when we're together together. The question is, are you in community? Right? We, we offer city groups and Bible studies. It, it could be not in this church. Some type of a group where you're committed to other people. Are you in community like that? If you're not, let me encourage you to get in some type of community, whether it be here at Christ Central or in some other way, where you're committed to other people. If you are in community, let me ask you this question. Are you just going through the motions Or are you truly being vulnerable and honest about what's really going on in your life? Because it's only when you're honest and vulnerable in relationship with other people that you open yourself up to need other people and to receive from other people. Are you in this type of genuine, authentic community? Because community is the one way the gap closes between the head and the heart. It's one of the ways we sing like Mary. The second thing we see that God uses in our passage to close the gap is humility. Now look at verse 48. Mary says, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. Uh, Mary at this time is close to the age of 14. She's from the town of Nazareth, which has been said that no good shall come out of Nazareth. How about that for your hometown? No good comes out of there. She's poor. She's uneducated. Kent Hughes said that Mary is a nobody in a nothing town in the middle of nowhere. Now Mary's circumstances surely impact her humility. She knows she adds nothing. She knows that her resume is unimpressive according to the world's standards. Scripture does teach us that more often than not, the materially poor bend toward humility humility, while the materially rich bend toward pride. But I do need to say this. Circumstances don't always dictate the heart. The materially poor can be prideful and the materially rich can be humble. It is a matter of the gap closing between the head and the heart. It's not just Mary's circumstances that has her humble. Mary is blown away, truly humbled that God is doing something to her and for her. Look at what she sings. He has looked on me. He has called me blessed. He has done great things for me. Mary is humbled that the Lord of heaven and earth has noticed her, that God looks upon her, gazes upon her, is paying attention to her. And she's so humbled that she asked the question, why me? 
Why me? It's not a question of doubt for Mary. It's a question of wonder. God, why me? Why would you notice me? Why would you choose to love me? The question of why me is the mark of humility. And humility is the surprise of grace. And it closes the gap between the head and the heart. When, when I met my wife, Rachel, I knew very quickly that she was the woman for me. It took her a little bit longer to figure out uh, that I was the man for her. Uh, but when she finally was in on me, uh, I started writing letters to her, letters that expressed my care and love for her uh, because I was blown away that this incredible woman would consider me, that this woman would choose me. I was humbled that she would pay attention and choose to love me. And in this humility, I didn't have to set my alarm to write letters to her. I didn't have to put it in my calendar. I didn't have to put it on my to-do list. I couldn't help but write these letters of love to her because I was humbled that she would choose me, notice me, and love me. Brothers and sisters, God notices you. He sets his gaze upon you, and he loves you. Jesus had his eyes and his heart upon you when he laid his life down on the cross. And he did not do this, and he does not do this because you're impressive. Quite the contrary. We were running away from God, and we still run away from God. We choose to love things more than God, and it's evidenced by what consumes our thoughts. It's evidenced by how we spend our time and how we spend our money. And nonetheless, God still chooses to love you because his love is unconditional. Is your response, why me? Why, God, do you, do you notice me? Why, God, do you choose to love me? Shame and pride are the opposite of humility, and they both will rob you of being filled with wonder at the surprise of grace. Shame, it says you're too bad for God's grace, that you don't measure up, that you're not enough, and it will lead you to think too highly of your sin. Pride says you're too good and you don't need God's grace and it will lead you to think too highly of your abilities and your gifts. Humility says, why God would you choose me? Why would you choose to love me and thank you that you do? And it closes the gap between the head and the heart and it leads us to sing like Mary. Community and humility. The last thing that we see in our passage that closes the gap between the head and the heart is vision. Vision. Mary's not only singing because of what has happened to her personally, she is singing because Jesus shapes her vision for the world. Look at verse 55. She sings about what God promised to Abraham. Almost 2,000 years before Mary, God makes a promise in the book of Genesis to Abraham that he would have a seed. And the seed would reclaim the whole world. Through the seed, as many as the stars in the sky would be brought into the family of God. Through the seed, there would be a land that's established that would be suitable for God to dwell with his people. And in verses 51 to 55, I don't know if you noticed it, but Mary is singing as though these things have already happened. He has shown strength. He has scattered the proud. He has brought down. He has exalted. He has filled. He has helped. But it hadn't happened yet. But she's singing as though it has. Because Mary's vision of what will be true in the end is more true than anything else to her. It is an eschatological vision of a new world revolution when King Jesus wins and evil is trampled. And this vision closes the gap between her head and her heart. And she sings with such hope and with such confidence as those these things have already happened. All revolutions are fueled by vision. 
All revolutions are fueled by vision. John Smeads in his book, Prayer Revolution, it's a book that our staff team is reading and some leaders in our church are reading. This is what John Smeads writes. He says, whenever or wherever the world is being turned upside down, whether by Christians or non-Christians, behind all the labor, sacrifice, and proselytizing lies a compelling vision that followers believe and dedicate their lives to. Communists rework the world because they imagine a future world of social equity. Nature activists envision a day of ecological harmony, pacifists work for world peace, and an end to war. All revolutions are fueled by vision. I'm currently watching the FX show Welcome to Wrexham uh, about a movie star Ryan Reynolds and TV star Rob McElhaney purchasing the Welsh soccer team uh, uh, in Wrexham. Uh, I'm, I'm really enjoying it. Uh, in the first episode uh, of uh, the show uh, tells the story of why they felt compelled to buy the team, and, and which is vision, by, by the way, the why is the vision. Uh, and they said they just fell in love with the city. Uh, they fell in love with the people of Wrexham, and they knew that if they purchased the soccer team, which was central to the community and central to the people, uh, that if the soccer team began to, to grow, that it would not only elevate the, the club, but it would transform the city. Seven episodes in, I can tell you, I'm in on their vision. <laughs> I'm, I want to go to Wrexham. I want to go visit Wrexham. I want to see Wrexham promoted into the next league. I was joking with a pastor friend of mine who loves the show this past week. I said, man, you need to go be a pastor in Wrexham and help see, the, see God transform this city, man. Let, let's go. Because vision compels. It just, vision compels all of us. It fuels revolution. And as Christians, we don't have to conjure up our own vision. We've been given a biblical vision, a grand biblical vision of what is to come. And it's a multinational vision where every tongue, tribe, and nation are gathered around the throne of Christ. It's a, it is a multi-class vision where justice rolls down and the, the poor, the marginalized are lifted up. It's a vision of the beautiful city coming down and God dwelling with his people and all people flourishing. It's a vision where people who don't know Christ come to know Christ and surrender their lives to him. It is a vision where everything that is wrong in this world is made right. Sadness, death, and sin are no more. It is a vision of the whole earth being transformed into God's dwelling place. And it fuels a revolution and it closes the gap between our head and our heart and it leads us to sing. In Bono's autobiography, he writes about the song, Sunday, Bloody Sunday. Maybe you've heard the song. It was a song that started in the heart of Edge, the guitarist of U2. And it was, it was written after the Irish Republican Army gunned down 28 peaceful protesters in the Northern Ireland conflict known as the Troubles. Sunday, Bloody Sunday was written as a song of revolution. It was a call to cease violence. It was a call for peace. This is how U2 sings. They start, it actually starts with drums. Really hard, boom. I can't believe the news today. Oh, how I can't close my eyes and make it go away. How long, how long must we sing this song? Because tonight we can be as one. If you didn't know, many of the band of U2 are Christians. And so they wanted to end this revolution song with the grand vision of God's kingdom. So this is how the, the song ends. So it ends this way. The real battle just begun. Sunday, bloody Sunday. Right? The, the real battle just begun to claim the victory Jesus won on Sunday. Bloody Sunday. You two couldn't help but write a song and sing the song that has now been heard throughout the world. 
a song of revolution because they had a biblical vision for the world. And brothers and sisters, when the vision of God's kingdom grips us, we sing songs of revolution in the face of evil. We are fueled by God's vision and we step into the broken places of our world and we point to a kingdom that is coming. We can't turn a blind eye to destruction and violence and injustice and bitterness and hatred and greed and loneliness and anxiety. We cannot turn a blind eye to our neighbors who are in need. We must love our neighbors in word and in deed. We must proclaim the goodness of Christ, the love of Christ and of his kingdom to all we come into contact with. As Christians, we have a biblical vision. We long for a greater world to come. And then we get involved in this world. We work towards the vision and we long for the revolution of God's spirit to come and renew all things. And so in this Advent season, Christ Central, let's sing in the face of evil. Because our king has come and is coming again and he wins. You're not alone in feeling the gap between your experience of God and your profession of God. We all experience it. But God has given us community. He gives the gift of humility. And he has given us a vision that fuels a revolution so that the gap closes between our head and our heart and so that we individually and we as a community sing like Mary. Let's pray. Well, God, I would would ask that you, by your spirit and by your grace, gift us hearts to receive and to believe and to trust the things that maybe we hear and know in our minds and even say with our mouths, but our experience is not always what we say. Would you, by your spirit, cause our hearts to be changed? Would you cause our lives to be changed so that our lives truly are lives of worship, that we're fueled to be a part of what you're doing in this world? Thank you that you've spoken to us in your word, and now you feed us with your word at the table we come to. Meet us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.